0: You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch as he teaches through the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them there. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians, as you know, can be broken up into three sections the wealth, the walk, and the warfare of the believer. That's the basic outline of the book of Ephesians. And as we move into chapter 3, we 're wrapping up this first part of Ephesians where Paul declares our wealth as believers in Jesus, and we 've been learning about this wealth and and you know we like that topic wealth i mean there 's all kinds of you know get rich quick schemes and you know how to make wealth from home and you know uh, put ads in newspapers around the world and you 'll make millions and all that kind of crazy stuff but We have wealth beyond anything that we could ever imagine or think of, not monetarily, but spiritually in Christ. And that is the key phrase, is in Christ. That has been the key phrase of our study of this first section of Ephesians, our wealth, is that it's in Christ. We have been learning who we are in Christ. And not only who we are in Christ, but who Christ is in us. And that's really important that we understand who we are in Christ. Because that understanding, that knowledge, begins to mold and shape how we live our life. See, when we're like backslidden and we're just totally living for the world, we don't understand who we are in Christ. That's the problem. That's the bottom line is that there is a disconnect in our understanding of who We are in Christ and who Christ is in us. And that's why Paul prayed there in chapter 1, verse 15 and following. He says that you would know these things. That these things would be implemented in your life. That they would be true. They would be real. And so that's what we're studying. And we're going to wrap that up over the next few weeks. As this morning we look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. And the next week we'll close out chapter 3 as we look at Paul's second prayer. Verses fourteen through twenty-one. But this morning, our text Ephesians three one through thirteen, and the key thought here in this passage is mystery. We like mysteries. We like you know uh, mysterious movies, the kind that you don't know how they're going to end, and there's twists and there's turns, or or maybe a book, you know, uh, a novel that's a mystery. We like those. Um, You know, ladies, before you were married, you liked to be kind of mysterious to, you know, that guy that you were, you know, your husband maybe now, you know, have you ever noticed that ladies are like so hard to get? And and then when you get married, it's like all they want to do is you know just be right with you one hundred percent of the time. But before you know, they didn't answer their phone, and you know they could care less if they're with you, and you know oh I don't really love you that much, you know. And now that you're married, they want to hear I love you like every other minute, you know. It's it's this weird dichotomy with women. But we like mysteries. It's something that was previously hidden in the mind of God, but has now been revealed in the hearts of men. That's what a mystery, biblically speaking, is. It was something that was previously hidden in the mind of God, but now has been revealed to the hearts of men. And Paul introduced this idea of what this mystery is last week as we looked at the end of chapter 2, and Paul said that the gospel, that salvation had been open to the Gentiles, and that blew their mind. That was something they would have never conceived of. That was the mystery. That the gospel message, that salvation is open, that the plan of God is that everyone can be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Previous, You had to, to go through all kinds of hoops in requirements and you had to be circumcised and you had to become a Jew and and it was really difficult for them to now accept this new way. It's kind of like the little toddler, the three, the four year old that has owned the home. They've had nothing but mom and dad's attention for the whole time. And it's just, it's been all about them. Christmas, birthdays, I mean, grandma, grandpa just dote over them. And then all of a sudden, here comes little brother, little sister, and, and they're kind of excited about it. There's kind of like this, this duplicity about it. In, in one sense, they're excited. Oh, mommy's got a baby coming. But then on the other hand, once it comes, they realize now I've got to share mom and dad. I've got to share presents. I've got to share treats i got to share their love and their affection. And so that's why when nobody's looking, they're like hitting the kid over the head with a hammer or a bat, you know, or trying to drown them in the toilet, you know. What are you doing? You know, this little toddler that never would do anything wrong is now like a serial killer. And you can't understand it. Well, it's because they want your affection all to themselves. And and that's what the Jews were kind of facing. They wanted the affection of God all to themselves. They didn't want to have to share that. And, and so in one sense, they were excited. Oh man, Jesus and, and the gospel message. But on the other hand, man, this is kind of tough. We're, we're not the only ones anymore. And that's the mystery, is that a relationship with God is available to all people. And as we make our way through our text, I want us to notice three things. We're going to see the recipient of the mystery... We're going to see the result of the mystery and then finally the reasons for the mystery. So let's read our text and then we'll go back and we'll look at those things. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery of, as I have briefly written already, by which, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ ...through the Gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of His power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see... What is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold or multifaceted wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers, basically the angels in the heavenly places." according to the eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. And Lord, as we open Your Word, God, we want to hear from You. Open our eyes and our ears. Lord, take away any distractions, Lord, the things that, that would cause us to, to miss out on what You might want to say. Lord, maybe that, that party we have later or that, that meal that we need to prepare or, or the things that are going on in our life, Lord, the things from last week that are going to carry over into this week. God, I pray that we'd put all that aside and we would hear from You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, the first thing that we want to talk about is the recipient of the mystery and of course it's Paul. Paul was the recipient. He was the the main guy that received this gospel message to take to the Gentiles. And Paul was absolutely ecstatic that he was privileged to be the one that God chose to reveal the mystery to the Gentile world. He he was Stoked beyond anything that you can ever imagine more than you've been excited about anything in your whole life And Paul was excited because he had the gospel message to bring to a lost world and he didn't just sit on it He took it to The known world in fact He would say that the whole world had heard about Jesus through his ministry at that time and Paul wasn't just content to tell a friend or you know a, a neighbor he wanted to take it to everybody that he possibly could and that's the first thing that we see with paul under the fact that he's the recipient of the mystery is that he shared he shared the mystery that's that's sort of at the very crux of the gospel is that it's meant to be shared Not meant to be hidden. Remember that song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hiding under a bush, oh no. Kind of a cheese ball song. I remember singing that in high school. The things that my youth pastor used to get us to do, like you could not get kids to do today. We sang all those cheesy songs. I don't know how he got us to do that. I was like 18 years old in youth group singing, This Little Light of Mine. I can't, can you imagine like, just wouldn't work, I don't know. But Paul presented the gospel every chance he got. Every chance he got. Whether it was in a synagogue. You remember, everywhere Paul went, and he went a lot of places, the first place he would go was to the synagogue. Very first thing he would do. He didn't go to the Chamber of Commerce or like the place where you get all the you know, brochures that tell you of things to do. He didn't go to Starbucks. He didn't go find a hotel He went to the synagogue and he shared the gospel. Screaming mobs of angry Jews. Paul would get up and he would share the gospel with them. They're they're just raining down threats on him. And he is sharing the gospel. Or he would share with one prison guard at a time. Paul would be chained as he was as he's writing this letter to a prison guard on 12 hour shifts. Two guards a day. And you don't think... But that person got to hear the gospel many, many times. What are you writing there, Paul? Well, I'm writing a letter to the church of Ephesus. In fact, I think it's going to be read for thousands of years to come. I mean, Paul would have had some amazing conversations with these individuals. Or how about when he stood in front of the deepest thinkers of Greece there on Mars Hill, the Stoics, the Epicureans, You know, the Harvard educated, the very, very intelligent, and Paul stood and he gave a cogent and clear demonstration of the gospel. Or whether it be in front of nobility such as Felix and Festus and King Agrippa, Paul never backed down from an opportunity to simply share the truth. It's not hard to share. It's not hard to tell people what Jesus has done for you. And that's our responsibility, you guys. Know your testimony. Know what it is that Jesus has done for you. And be able to take people very simply through the Gospel message. You see, Paul took the Great Commission seriously. The Great Commission. Not the Great Suggestion or some good advice but this is our mission this is the thing that Jesus said you need to do these were his last words you know we make a big deal about people's last words you know when somebody's on their deathbed and they like can barely get it out you know and they're like i want some water and then that's the last thing they ever say you know that's a big deal you know dad said i want some water you know and you can google famous people's last words Well, here were Jesus' last words. And they were, go into all the world and make disciples. Make disciples. That's what we're called to do. I mean, we have a lot of other things that we have to do in this life. We have to, you know, make a living. We have to take care of our kids and raise our kids. You you know, got to clean the house. Got to mow the yard. You Got to, you know, help uh, people. The primary thing that we are called to do is to make disciples. And you know, maybe you're not an evangelist, and and most of us aren't. It's a gift that God has given to some, and they can just go up to anybody, and they can just share the gospel, and and it's really neat to see. But we're not all created that way. We're not all gifted that way. But here is the thing. We all have opportunities Maybe you're not the type that creates opportunities but we all have opportunities and we need to use them. When you are given an opportunity when someone asks you a reason for the hope that lies within you do you stammer? Do you stutter? Do you say, hey, let me have my pastor call you? you know, Or, or do you say, no, look here's what Jesus did and here's what He can do for you. And And you share your testimony. You know, I would encourage you, if you've never written your testimony out to do that, just write it out very simply. Write write out how you came to know Christ and and be able to share that with with others. Know the Roman's road. That we're all sinners. That Jesus came to die for sinners. That if you confess Him as your Lord, you will be saved. Know those Scriptures and... I think uh, soon we're going to have like an, a, a simple evangelism class that would help you in that way. But we ought to be willing to share when given the opportunity. Yesterday we did a, a work project over at Kelly and Brandy Avery's house. And you know we were doing all kinds of yard work and we built a fence and there was 20 or so people and they're all out in their yard doing all this work. And I said, Kelly... I pray that your neighbors later will come and ask you what that was all about so that you'll have opportunity to share with them. See, that's an opportunity. Hey, what was that about? Well, let me tell you. People at church, they believe in Jesus and they want to go and spend their Saturday helping others because of what He did. See, that's unusual. That stands out in people's minds. That isn't normal. And there's an opportunity. So use the opportunities. Paul shared... He shared when given the opportunity. He was a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the Gentiles. The reason he was in jail is because he was sharing. He says in verse 9 that he wanted to make all see. He wanted to reveal what God had given to him. A second thing that we see about Paul, the recipient of the mystery, is that he served. Look at verse 7. Of which I became a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of His power. Paul was a minister. Now that word "minister" kind of has like a really, you know, powerful connotation. It's it's you know kind of intimidating. I'm a minister, you know, and when I go places, you know, um, to do a funeral or go to the hospital or if I'm doing a wedding, you know, ultimately. Somebody will ask me, Are you the minister? And, you know, because I don't really look like one, especially if, you know, it's not like a suit and tie kind of thing. And so people don't know, they, are, are you the minister? No, where is he? The guy's late, you know. And, but the thing is, they're, they're thinking that word minister is like, man, you are something special. But that word minister means a servant. That's what it means. And in fact, we're all ministers. Maybe you don't get paid to be a minister, but you are a minister wherever you're at. As a school teacher, as a police officer, as a mill worker, as a construction worker, as a doctor, as an attorney, whatever it is that you do, you are a minister, a servant. And you see, when we receive something from God, which we have, He's given us, just like He did, Paul the mystery when we receive something from god we have the responsibility to minister those things to other people to serve see with privilege comes responsibility we say that to our kids right well if you want a dog then you're going to have to keep your room clean that's that's the uh, agreement that that my daughter and i have right now for a cat and i'm pretty well certain she's not getting a cat until she's like 30 <laughs> Because there's no time soon that room's getting clean without us going in there with a blowtorch. And so, you know, it's a great deal for me. And she always says, when I keep my room clean, I get a cat. And I'm thinking, yeah, it's not happening, you know. And I I don't really like cats. So I don't, at this point, I'm not really sure. Room clean, cat, I don't know. But with privilege comes responsibility. We want to make sure that Caitlin is going to be able to keep her room clean, because if she can't do that, then certainly she can't feed and water and do whatever else you do for a cat. Never owned a cat. Never had one in my life. We had one cat. I take that back. When I was a kid, I tormented it. It ran away, and I never had a cat again. (laughs) But with privilege comes responsibility. And we understand that in, in life, but it also applies... In Christianity, that we've been given a very great privilege, and we have a responsibility to serve that to other people. You know, you kind of think of it as a minister; you're a servant. And what what do waiters do? They serve, right? They serve your meal. Well, we are to serve the gospel. That's what we do. Paul says that we're stewards of these things. If you look at verse two, he uses the word dispensation, which is kind of a poor translation in the, in the New King James. It would probably be better translated stewardship or administration. And then if you look down at verse 9, he says fellowship, again, a very, very interesting translation of that word. It is better translated stewardship. We are stewards of the gospel. You know what a steward is? A steward, is somebody that you give something to take care of it. Somebody is house sitting, and they are a steward of your house. If you come back and your house has been robbed blind, you're not going to be too happy with their job. You know, it's like, why did I have you stay here? It got robbed, you know. Or if they're supposed to feed and water your dogs, and you come back and your dog's like all sickly, and you know, like ready to pass out you're not going to be too excited about the job that they did if your plants are all dead you were they were a steward of your things and and that's what we are of God's thing the gospel he's entrusted it to us we live however in a very me-centered society we talk about serving right and paul was a servant he says i'm a minister We live in the opposite of that, however. We live in a me centered society. Just go into a grocery store and watch people fight to get in line. Right? And a lady that's got like one little thing, like, you know, one half gallon of ice cream, and, you know, she is just like never going to give her place. You know, I mean, she is just so bent on, you know, cutting and getting in line. And, you know, I've only got one thing. And,. You know, or go somewhere where where food is like takeout and you're having to wait for your food. And and people are calling out the orders, you know, and, and then there's the guy in the back, well where's mine? And when do I get to pay? And when do I get out of here? And and it's all about me. Just the other day we were at Fred Meyer and in, in Ben, they have the, the new gas station there. And with your rewards card you get like ten cents off. It's already super cheap, so the gas is like almost free by the time it's done. <laughs> Not really. It's still like 250, <laughs> but you know, you give them your card and then your social security number and you know, thumbprint and everything else. But I mean, it is like lined down the street. It's worse than the Safeway in Madras. It is. And so Andrea said, "Well, if you go around the back, you you know that nobody thinks of that. They're all lined out this way. Go around the back." And, and sure enough, we did it. We went around the back. But here's this guy, and he's done getting his fuel, and he's just parked there. And then there's like three or four attendants, and they're just standing around. You know, nobody knows what to do. And so I'm starting to get a little bit frustrated, right? And I'm I'm kind of throwing my arms up in the air like, Hello, can you get this guy out of here so we can get gas? But then the Lord began to impress upon my heart, all I cared about was myself. I didn't really care about what this guy was doing. Apparently he was getting changed. I don't know for what. It's like a million dollar bill or something. It took forever. But I didn't care about him. I didn't care if he was having a heart attack up there. You know, because he's just sitting there. And I didn't think about maybe the guy's hurt or needs help. You know, I don't care. Get out of my way so I can get my gas and get out of here. But that's how we are. We're very selfish. But as Christians, we're not called to be self-centered and selfish. We're called to be others-minded. You see, the gospel, you guys, and this is where it all goes bad in the sense of why we don't share the gospel, in the sense of why we aren't serving other people, is because we live in this me-centered society and it's come into the church. And see, the gospel has become a self-help remedy for a happier and more successful life. That's what the Gospels become. That's what churches have become. It's basically, it's no longer Calvary Chapel or First Baptist. Basically, it is, you know, ten steps to a happier life. Come here and we're going to tell you how you can be happy. And man, people want that, but that's not the Bible's message. The Gospel is truth that transforms. It's truth that transforms us from sinners to the saints, that translates us from darkness to light, that saves us, that rescues us from the eternal judgment of God. See, that's the gospel. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, hey, sign up here and you'll live a happy, successful, fulfilled life. Where that came into play, I have a a pretty good idea. It came from our selfish, self-centered hearts. It came from the devil who said, you know what, I can't at all thwart the, the gospel in a general sense, but I can in individual lives. And so a little here, a little there, he just kind of twists it and gets you off and gets you selfish and gets us self-centered. That's, you guys, so, so far from what the Bible's message is the Bible's message is not that you're going to live a happy life. We have to to get away from that understanding. Because when we share that with people, we're deceiving them. When Paul got saved, things didn't get better for him. In fact, he lost his job. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He, he, He lost his family. History tells us that Paul was married, but nowhere... In the account of his Christian history, do we see him with a wife? So obviously she bailed on him. He may have had kids. They probably bailed on him. He was imprisoned. He lost all of his money. He lost his career. He lost his notoriety. He lost his reputation. That doesn't sound like ten steps to a happier life. That sounds like I found the truth and I want to tell other people about it. See, people get saved and then sometimes things get worse. Sometimes their marriage goes from bad to worse because now that person, that spouse hates you because you're now a believer and they don't want to have anything to do with you. Your kids, your friends, your co-workers. Maybe it costs you a job because you're not willing to cheat like you used to. You're not willing to lie to people about the product that you were selling. You're not willing to do the things that they were asking you to do before. And so now you're not willing and now they let you go and they fire you or you don't get promoted. They promote somebody else. See, those are the things the Bible promises us that will happen. Paul was not at all into this me-centered gospel. And if you are, if that's what you're looking for, if that's what you think Jesus is, man, you need to, to reread the Bible. You, you need to, to rethink things. Paul was not only a servant, but he was humble. And those kind of things go together. As you look at verse 8, he says, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, as one dedicated to serving others, Paul was humble. He wasn't full of himself. He wasn't, as we said, self-centered. He was others-minded. And he was humble. See, the longer you walk with Jesus, you guys, the more humble you should become. The longer I walk with Jesus, the more humble and the less prideful I should be. Because the longer we walk with Jesus, the more acquainted we are with our own sinfulness and our own wretched hearts. And it makes us aware of how far we are from God. And so we don't compare ourselves with this guy over here who's a drunk or this lady over here that beats her kids. We don't compare ourselves with those people because we feel real good when we we do that. Well, you know, I'm a lot better than they are. But we compare ourselves to Jesus. And when we see Jesus, just like every person In the Bible that came face to face with Jesus, what was the first thing that they said? Basically, woe is me, I'm a wretched, filthy sinner, and I need forgiveness. That was the first thing that they became aware of. They weren't like, wow, God chose to reveal himself to me. I must be something special. That was not at all. It was like, man, I am just a wretched sinner so far from God. And that was Paul. He says, I'm the least of all the saints. There's this really cool progression in Paul's life of humility. Early on in his ministry, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and he said, I was the least, I am the least of all the apostles. And that sounds pretty good. He's saying, I'm the least of all my peers. I'm the least of of all the leaders of the church. I mean, I'm at the bottom. That's pretty humble. But then later, as Paul walked with the Lord more, He would write here to the Ephesians, I'm the least of all the saints. Hey, that's that's even better. You're the least of the church. But the last letter Paul ever wrote to Timothy, he said, I am the chief of sinners. You see, there was a progression of humility in Paul's life. Paul didn't become more prideful. Paul wasn't like, yeah, you don't know how many people I've led to the Lord. I bet you don't know the things I've done. You know, Paul wasn't talking about himself. Paul was infatuated with Jesus. Who are we infatuated with? I got a real good feeling that a lot of us are infatuated with ourselves. It's the first person we think of when we get up in the morning. It's the last person we think of when we go to bed. Paul was a servant. He was humble. Paul also suffered it's the last thing under this recipient of the ministry or the mystery. Paul shared, he served, and he suffered. Look at verse 1. He says, I'm a prisoner. We know Paul was imprisoned for his belief, his faith in Jesus, for sharing Jesus. Look at verse 13. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you. Paul suffered greatly for the things of God, and you never hear him complain. If you read Second Corinthians chapter eleven, Paul tells of all the things he went through. And it doesn't sound like a list of how to be happy. It's incredible the beatings, starvation, shipwrecks, being ostracized. That was Paul's experience. And Jesus said this in John sixteen thirty three. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, listen, in the world you will have tribulation. That's a, that's a word to underline. You will. Not you might, not it's possible, but you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, Jesus said. I have overcome the world. In other words, hey, it's going to be tough, <clears throat> be of good cheer because it won't last forever. I've overcome the world. See, we live in a culture in a society in Western America in, in 2007. We live in a culture that basically says, man, if everything isn't perfect, God must not love me. If I stub my toe and it hurts, you know, oh man, my day is ruined, and God must not be you know in control or and and it's it's funny, but it's kind of true, isn't it? We ask people, how are you doing? And and we we're only doing well if everything's going perfectly. You see, if you ask Paul, how are you doing? We would expect him to say, I'm doing terrible. I'm shackled to this stinky Roman guard. I I, I don't get to eat well. And all I was doing was sharing the gospel. I'm in this stupid prison. You know, Paul would be at the top of our prayer chains. Free Paul, you know. Get him out of jail. But Paul didn't have that mindset. He said, hey, don't lose heart for me. This is where God has me. This is for your glory. In the world, you will have tribulation. I don't know what your prison is. It might be financial. It might be your health. It might be your kids. It might be your marriage. It might be your job. And you're saying, Lord, deliver me from this thing Lord, if you really loved me, I wouldn't be in this thing. But look, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will have difficulty. It's not going to be easy, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I don't know what God wants to do in your life as a result of that thing. But God's got something in store for you. And if you just complain and moan and groan, you're going to miss it. If you ask God to deliver you from it, you're going to miss the opportunities. Because all of this time that Paul spent in prison, guess what? He was writing letters that are still being studied today, that are still a blessing to you and me today. Paul wouldn't have recognized that. But it was the reality of what God was doing. And he was available. He didn't complain. He didn't ask God to deliver him he just endured it with a good attitude one of my favorite stories acts chapter 16 paul goes to philippi with silas and they're there to plant a church but they get arrested they get thrown in prison and that night they get beaten with rods have you ever been beaten with rods i never have i've never been beaten with anything except maybe an occasional spanking when i was a kid But I've never been beaten with anything. Paul was beaten until he was black and blue with rods. And I can imagine Silas, like later on that night, just being like, man, this really stinks. Why did I come with you? What am I doing? And then Paul, hey, let's stay up all night and sing worship to the Lord. And if I were Silas, I would be like, hey, you go ahead and fly right at that. But I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to you know, nurse my wounds over here and I'm going to complain to God and I'm going to you know, send a letter to my congressman and I'm going to call an attorney and I'm going to make sure I'm on the prayer chain. You know, but none of those things are at all what they did. In fact, they stayed up And they worshipped God. Now that's amazing to me. Because you know what? We come into a building like this. Oh, it's kind of hot. I can't worship. It's a little cold. The seats aren't that comfortable. That person wasn't very nice to me. Nobody said hi to me. It's kind of a joke in light of Paul. I I can't worship. I I don't really like the songs. I don't know the songs or it's too loud. None of those things were a factor for Paul as he just worshipped the Lord in the midst of all that he was going through. And you know what happened? The Spirit of God came upon that place in such a powerful way all the prison doors were opened and yet nobody left because they all wanted to hear what Paul had to say. Because as he's singing praise to this God after he's been beaten with rods, they're interested. They want to know who this God is. Now, we're going to be doing prison ministry out at the new prison in Madras. I can guarantee you, if there ever came a time where all the doors were open and there's just high desert as far as you can see, there's going to be a lot of guys running. But not that night. That night, they all stayed. And the prison guard, the guy that was there in charge of everybody, when he saw all those prison doors opened, his life flashed before his eyes because he knew if one prisoner who was in his care escaped, it meant death. They didn't have, like, administrative leave, you know. Like, you know what, uh, we're going to put you on a paid leave of absence. We've got to evaluate this and investigate what happened. No, it was called put a noose around his neck and hang him. That's how they dealt with guards that let prisoners go. And so he was absolutely terrified, but nobody leaves. And Paul says, look, we're all here. We're all accounted for. And that guard got saved and his whole family got saved and it was the beginning of the church of Philippi. And you know what? There could have not been a more powerful revival had Paul thought all his life about how to have a revival in Philippi. But it happened because he was available and because When things didn't go the way he planned, he just kept his eyes on the Lord. Instead of complaining and getting bombed and saying, God must not love us, He's not in this, He's not in my ministry. He just worshipped the Lord. What thing are you going through right now where God is saying to you, just worship me. Just keep your eyes on me. In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Let's talk about the result of the mystery. Verses 5 and 6. He says, Which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Basically, what he's saying is the gospel, which used to be hidden, the mystery that was hidden in the Old Testament, that is, that was not made known to the sons of men that is not in the Old Testament, has now been revealed in the New Testament. And so the result of the mystery is that salvation is now open to all people. Jesus said the Last Supper, as He was there on the night He was to be arrested, He said to His disciples, this is the new covenant in My blood. I'm writing a new covenant. No longer will it be written on tablets of stone. No longer will my presence be only in a temple. No longer will you have to approach me with all kinds of sacrifice. Now you can come boldly, as he says in verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. That's what we have now through the new covenant. Jeremiah, some 600 years before Jesus, put it like this. Jeremiah 31. Read it with me if you like. You don't have to turn there. But Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. This is the new covenant. That's now open to everyone. No longer do you have to approach God with trepidation. You can approach God with confidence. No longer is it written on tablets of stone, which when Moses came off the mountain, they, would, they were already broken, every one of them. That's why he said, you know, forget this. And he threw them on the ground. And they were broken because they already had broken all of them. Now the covenant of God is written in our hearts. We relate to God with our heart. Not with religion. Not with requirements. Not with regulations. But with relationship. We come to God. Boldly. That's the result of the mystery. What was hidden and concealed in the Old Testament is now open and revealed in the New Testament. And we get to partake of that blessing. Because we get the privilege of knowing God relationally. They did not even comprehend that previous to Christ. And even after Christ, you remember His disciples, how confused they were? Even at the very end, saying, show us the Father. Jesus, reveal God to us. We want to see God. And Jesus said, have I been with you so long? Don't you know that if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father? Guys, we cannot tell people enough about Jesus. And it is Jesus. Be specific about who you're talking about. God doesn't cut it in our society anymore. We relate to Jesus. Jesus is the one in whom we come to God through. We can't get enough of Jesus. The result of the mystery is that salvation is now open to all people. Lastly, the reasons for the mystery. Verses 8-12. through 12. First of all, that we might experience all that God has for us. He says there in verse 10 to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. In other words, our life is going to be a testimony to the angels of what God can do. But he says that he might make it known. That was Paul's desire to make these things known. known. But you guys, in order for us To make it known publicly, we have to first experience it personally. And that's the thing that Paul wanted for us, is that we might experience all that God has for us. That's the first reasons for the mystery. Because God had a plan for us. He wanted us to experience Him. And so, He made it possible. Are you experiencing Jesus on a daily basis? Are you having a relationship with Jesus 1 John chapter 1 verse 1 through 4 again you don't have to turn there but one of my favorite passages as John who spent 3 plus years with Jesus he says that which was from the beginning which we have heard John said, "Look, I spent three plus years with Jesus. I saw Him, I handled him, I talked to him. I spent a lot of time with him. I had relationship with him. and that is what I want to give to you," John said. I don't want to give you religion. I don't want to give you words on a page. I don't want to give you a list of do's and don'ts. I want to give you a relationship." Living, breathing, active—that we might experience all that God has for us. Then, and only then, can we extend it to others. See, as Paul talked about that he shared, that he served, that he suffered for the the gospel. See, we can't do any of those things unless we first experienced it personally. Then we can extend it to people around us. He says in verse 8, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Verse 9, that I might make all see. That was the ultimate goal, was to extend it. But first he had to experience it. Then he could extend it. Guys, we're the salt of the earth. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. And salt does quite a few things, but in relationship to Christianity, it does a couple things. First, it adds flavor. Salt adds flavor. Have you ever had like potatoes or potato chips or popcorn without salt? Just go to England. You'll experience that. They don't use ice. They don't use salt. The food's terrible. Terrible food there. When Andrew and I were there on our way to Israel. We went to this little pub, you know, and supposed to get, like, the best fish and chips. We asked, where's the best fish and chips? So here it was, dark alley, you know, people murdering each other right downtown London. You know, we, we, we risk our lives to get to this little pub. We walk in. I got, you know, cancer the moment I walked in, lung cancer from the smoke in there, just packed with smoke. It's like a guy on a guitar, you know, in the corner playing terrible music. And, and then they give us the food. It's little shriveled pieces of fish that have no flavor whatsoever. And then these, these things that they call fries, that, you know, we call them fish and chips. They call them fries, but they're not fries. They're more like our chips, but they have no flavor whatsoever. Zero flavor, no salt. You ever had the, like, fat free popcorn? Basically, what fat free means is it tastes horrible, it's like gravel. <laughs> Why bother, right? You know, it's like rice cakes. I guess just so that your mouth can be doing something. I remember all the diets my mom went on as a kid, and, and ri- they always involved rice cakes. And then they would, you know, then they would come out with like the flavored ones, you know, like laffy, you know, taffy flavored rice cakes. You know, it's like. It's still a rice cake. It does not have any flavor whatsoever. And that's the thing, is that as believers, you guys, we should be adding flavor to people's lives. They should want to be around us because we add flavor. We, we add an element to their life that they don't have. And they want what we have. And maybe they can't explain it, I, I can't explain what salt does. But when you put it on food, it's amazing. It's great. I don't know what, how it works. And maybe they can't explain why they like to be around you or why they, they want to, to hear what you have to say, but you add flavor to their life. And then the thing that that does is it creates thirst. And that's another thing that salt does is it creates thirst. Does our life make people want Jesus? And there's certain Christians, certain very famous Christians that maybe have very popular ministries. And I think to myself, what about you and your ministry makes me want to be a Christian? Because really all you do is yell and ask people for money and tell them how horrible they are or complain about everybody else but yourself. Tell, Say how everybody's wrong but you. And I think... What makes me want Jesus based on your ministry? When people look at our life, do they say, you know what, I want what they have. I'm thirsty for what they have. I want that to be true of me. I know it isn't always true. I have encounters with people and they probably think the last thing I want is to be part of that guy's church or to have anything to do with his Jesus because we all blow it. We all make mistakes. we all walk away going, man, I did not represent Jesus well at all. But you know what, you guys? You can apologize. And sometimes that will be the most powerful witness that you've ever had. Is an apology. is to say, you know what? I blew it. I'm sorry. I misrepresented the Lord. Will you forgive me? And there can be open doors from that that you would never imagine. Because most unbelievers... Don't apologize. Are you you a person that is creating thirst in people's lives for Jesus? Let's stand and pray together. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County, you may email us at info at calvarycrookcounty.com. Or if you would like to write to us, you may do so at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Thank you for listening and God bless.